This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. I'm more interested in your good news. You are handing this thing in. I am handing it in. Um, I had a 2.30 in the morning uh, epiphany when I suddenly realized when I was thinking oh my god I'm never going to find the end that I actually already had the end and um, I think that when you read it you're going to be very very happy Sam yep it's so good this I is am. not my control I actually genuinely <laughs> believe you'll be very happy I am very happy that it is that close yeah it's so good it's exciting and who are we introducing today Today, uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Robin Quigg, and she is a lecturer in Māori Health, Hauora Māori, uh, from uh, the, Ota- the University of Otago in Dunedin. Um, I uh, actually found out about Robin through one of my Otago Polytech learners, um, and, um, and I've just found out she indirectly came to us through Robin, so I really like that little circle right there. It is a great pleasure to have you here, Robin. I've loved reading your work, and um, thanks for joining us today. Kia ora. I'm pleased to be here. Kia ora, Robin. Where are you, Robin? Uh, McAndrew Bay, Dunedin. I could wave across the harbour. You could. Of. You could, yes. So how was your bubble life? So last year's bubble life? Yes. Um, Yes, well, for those of us down south, we haven't had too many, have we? Um, my Bible life uh, was great. Uh, a, sort of a tense first week as everybody learned to live with each other again. But after that, it was fantastic. Um, so I live in, Dine- in McAndrew Bay with my husband and uh, two essentially adult children. Uh, they both came home from uh, university. They're both at Otago um, for lockdown. And so then we all learnt to live with each other again. Um, yeah. So that was so. Yeah. The week it took a took a week of um, of sorting that out. Uh, but other than that, it was um, it was really nice to spend time with them. Uh, I was uh, teaching, uh, so we had the we'd had that uh, rapid transition to go online, uh, which was quite stressful. So I, I was really busy. Actually, everyone was pretty busy. Um, everyone was either studying or working from home. Uh, so we had uh, quite, we, we had certainly had reason to get up every morning uh, and uh, plenty to do. But, you know, the, I guess the privilege of having lived in Dunedin a long time and having worked for a while, we had our own home. Um, we already had enough um, you know, Wi-Fi capacity for for us all to come home 
and use it safely and and um, uh, you know uh, it all worked it didn't fade on us terribly much uh, everyone had a room where they could do their own work uh, so that was incredibly pr privileged really to have um, that sort of experience because I know uh, like for many of my students that wasn't the case um, and I know for many people in New Zealand and around the world that that wasn't the experience they got so um, I really appreciated the fact that I could do my work from home we could all get paid we could do what we needed to do um, and it was different but okay. How did the transition to teaching online go for you? Uh, it was pretty, um, yeah, it, it was it was interesting. It was interesting, okay. Uh, I work in, preventive, in the Department of Preventive and Social Medicine, so um, we are in public health. So we had, so I work with colleagues who uh, clearly understood what was going on. And so we were well warned what was probably about to happen. And probably a couple of weeks before we went into lockdown, but we were advised to uh, check and test teaching in Zoom. So one of the days we just told the students to stay uh, stay away from the class and we just ran the class on Zoom. Um, and that was really good as well because some of them realized that actually their Wi-Fi and their rooms and their devices weren't good enough. And so we had a bit more warning probably than many people that, you know, that, that things needed to change. So some of them went home when they weren't going to uh, and things like that or, or, you know, figured themselves out. So, uh, the other thing that was kind of, I suppose, a slight positive for me was last was last year was the first year I taught the papers I was teaching, and so while I hadn't taught them before, I actually hadn't taught them in the classroom either. So if you're going to write rewrite something, <laughs> it doesn't really matter what the platform is that you're writing it for. Um, it's more this year that I've kind of went, why did I teach it like that? And I went, oh, that's right, we were locked down. That was a Zoom class, um, so that was it's kind of more this year. It's a bit more stressful actually. Um, the other thing I did with teaching was uh, I, rather than record the classes so that they could watch them later, I mean, we, we did record them, but I just kept my scheduled lecture time and because um, I really liked having that rhythm in my day and I thought that was quite a positive thing for the students too, that they could um, have something in their day that meant they could turn up for. Um, so that really worked for me. It also meant I didn't get any sort of performance anxiety about recording and re-recording and those sorts of things I just recorded what I spoke and that was it so um so there was a lot of sort of efficiency in it for me as well yeah let's, so that was that was teaching online let's go straight to your, first of your music choices let's have Anthony Tony railway lines why this one um I'm a I'm a real um public transport fan um although actually I probably use it less in Dunedin than I should. Um, we now have the bike track around the harbour, so I love that. Um, but whenever I am in other cities, I, I really um, delight in taking the bus. And I know that that's his um, co-papa as well. In fact, I heard him talking on national radio the other day about uh, living now in Whanganui, and he has an elevator, uh, a public elevator, or there's some some sort of strange thing that he's bought, um, which he operates. So um, yeah, I just I just like him. He's a Dunedin artist uh, and an amazing voice. Who and I've heard him live. So just like the like the co-pilot really. They're electrifying the train lines, putting cobbler card on the bridges, and it's just this sort. 
What do you do for work, Robin? You said you were doing some your teaching during the pandemic. Is is, is that a big part of your role? Yes, I'm a um, I'm a lecturer. I'm on contract at the moment, but I'm a lecturer. So um, at Otago, that means forty uh, percent of your time is spent teaching or preparation for teaching or all the things around teaching. Forty uh, percent is research and twenty percent is service. So um, yeah, so I. Uh, am lucky enough to largely have my teaching in the first semester of the of the university year uh, and so um, I teach two two papers and all the marking and bits and pieces and then um, this semester I do the research uh, and and my area is uh, urban parks and decolonizing urban parks with a kind of 
in that healthy parks, healthy people concept, um, and smoke-free uh, research. I'm a co-papa Māori researcher nowadays. Um, well, that tends to be what my choice. Uh, and then I'm on a bunch of committees and you know working groups and things like that. And that's my service role at the university. Okay, so you're going to have to tell us what decolonising urban parks is about. Okay, so parks are land. Um, so especially urban, think of it, urban parks. The national parks are a little more kind of obvious. Other people have been in that space, but think of urban parks. Um, and uh, decolonising is thinking, thinking or acknowledging that they are colonial constructs. They're not. Uh, they're not an indigenous. Um, style of land uh, you know they've got lines and boundaries and rules which don't really fit uh, within a Māori framework um, and in fact the, their, their, their Māori or their mana whenua um, purako, their stories aren't usually known so they're often tamed pieces of land um, quite uh, can be can feel quite exclusionary not just for Māori but um, but actually, uh, there's overseas research that talks about them as um, exclusionary for other migrants and other minority populations as well. And uh, so I've got, um, I'm sort of working on that now, trying to think about the stories and find about, out about the stories that might be uh, associated with the land and how can we, uh, how can we share them uh, are they appropriate to share because uh, I'm not Manafenua in Dunedin, so uh, working with Naitahu on sharing those stories and actually um, sort of bringing bringing more meaning and uh, some of the local stories more visible into bring those stories more visibly uh, into the park management and the um, the the ways that parks may be used. But. Aren't parks inherently a good thing? They may be. I guess it depends what you might define as good and whether you think... Um, I guess they reflect a dominant uh, perspective of land and nature and they do reflect an attempt to tame tame the environment, um, they're often planted with um, non-indigenous uh, trees. I mean, think of, you know, lots of the sports fields and things have oaks and, you know, I don't know, oaks and elms and all those other, um, uh, those sorts of plantings which kind of uh, reflect the mother country, really. They f reflect England um, and are part of that. And actually, tradition they, they are, the history of them is that they are part of the emotional attachment from. Uh, England and Scotland, you know, wherever the settlers the, the settlers came from, um, and so the the indigenous landscape's been erased, um, also by obviously by flattening and bulldozing, and um, yeah, so that, that's that's sort of sort of some of the concepts around these parks, which aren't so much around uh, so so reflective of our indigenous of indigenous values. Uh, that's that's what the the concepts around and um, and so they don't don't reflect Titiriti. Uh, you know, there, there's not much of a bicultural partnership associated with urban parks. So that's what I'm interested in is uh, sort of seeking those values, um, seeing if they 
they are stories that should be shared, uh, not necessarily erasing uh, a European history, but actually perhaps alongside in, in that partnership approach through plantings, through features, facilities, uh, maybe even just uh, signage or artwork, public sculptures, uh, those sorts of things. Pretty early on in the in the the concept of this research at the moment, but it's had quite a lot of interest. Um, one of the ways that I am really looking at it, though, in terms of health, is thinking about um, smoke. Uh, urban parks are smoke free, so you're not supposed to smoke on urban parks. Um, but we know that um, smoking does occur. And actually, if you think of land, why would you, if you're traumatised by land loss or you don't feel part of this land being urban parks or you don't feel you belong in a sports field, why wouldn't you smoke? There's, there's kind of no health reason to stop it. So thinking a bit deeper about why people might um, have healthy behaviours as opposed to un unhealthy behaviours. So that's, that's some of the really practical ways that this kind of thinking can go. One of the things that I rally against is the perhaps continuing colonisation of the, the parks. It really annoys me when they improve a park and put a fence around it. Um, Absolutely. Um, particularly the things like the hockey turf. It, it's a particularly ugly fence that they put around it. So I was pleased that the, the FIFA-sponsored football fields explicitly mm. don't have a fence. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, that's that's... Uh, fair enough. I, I think the thinking's uh, changed quite a lot in the last, well, the hockey turfs would have been there for 20 years probably. Um, so I think the thinking's changed a lot uh, with with kind of management of that sort of land. I mean, I suppose uh, we're actually a hockey family and uh, one of the difficulties with the hockey turf is it's uh, very easily destroyed by um, inappropriate behaviour compared to, I think, the the Football FIFA turf would be a little more robust. Um, but hockey, thankfully, leaves its gate wide open nowadays, which I really like, um, in effect, so that there's good access nowadays compared to a few years ago. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, the other thing, I mean, I used to work for the City Council in recreation planning. The other thing that goes with fencing is because those uh, sports clubs, associations, actually pay for, they, they have to pay for exclusive use. So that's one of the reasons it gets fenced is because they're actually paying for it. Obviously, they don't ever pay for the capital cost and the cost on the community of it being excluded. But that's um, that's some of the sort of the historic thinking around fencing. Um, but yeah, it doesn't need to be barbed wire high fencing. <laughs> During the lockdown, we all got used to just being in our environments and our local neighbourhoods and appreciating those neighbourhoods as the place where we we are. Is that kind of the the answer to make the the play, the, the, the recreation just part of what we do? And it's kind of the same as that that notion of the nature being over there somewhere. Mm. But meanwhile we can carry on destroying everything we like because we've got nature up, up in the sanctuary. Is it the same yeah. kind of message? Yeah. Oh that's definitely where I'm coming from, um, yeah, I mean, value value and uh, know about what you have, uh, you know, where you are. Um, and, I, and I suppose that probably, I haven't really got into the history in schools thing, but, I mean, you know, that makes sense for me in terms of the educational system um, with with the, the history, uh, you know, whose history is being taught. It's the same as, you know, whose history and, and whose values are being presented in front of you. So absolutely value and 
yeah, know about, um, you know, the meanings and, um, you know, importance and significance of some of those places uh, right near you that uh, that you might not know about because it's because actually the the people in the city council who are doing that management they don't know it either. So um, uh, and it's because no one's ever asked, largely. So yeah, that's the that's the kind of idea that I really think we can um, benefit from looking at parks with different eyes. Do you think we'll see a legacy of the pandemic in how we how we do recreation? We, I was talking about how we've gotten used to being at home. Perhaps we've gotten used to being at home, sitting and watching Netflix. But also we've gotten used to, like, the, the, the national parks are booked out next year. So we seem to be appreciating our place more. Um, I've... Yes, I th I, there is a there is a chance for that, um, uh, but it still privileges those with, uh, you know, money, access, vehicles, time, uh, gear, even to do those things. Um, yeah, so I mean, there, there there is a, you know, a real kind of dichotomy, I suppose, in terms of those those that have and. Um, can afford and have and have footpaths and nice places to live where they can walk and it is pleasant compared to um, other other families in other communities where the uh, their environment's not as good um, and you know well you know it's not as it's not as pleasant to be walking around and um, and they certainly will probably not be able to access the national parks uh, or uh, some of those facilities. So you know that's and that's the that's the need for the public good. That's why we have our public organisations. I mean, that's why we have a you know a health service um, for everyone. Same with the role of DOC and the the local authorities is that actually uh, we sh we should be trying to support those who uh, might not know or have that ex that access themselves, um, rather than those that already have the the financial uh, support to go and just do the things they want to do anyway. So we're talking about decolonising the parks, the urban parks, but do we need to go further and decolonise the concept of recreation? Yes, that's uh, definitely. Um, and there is there is some of that happening. Um, and I suppose you could also, uh, I mean, there's an you know sports such as Waka Armour is is a good um, uh, a good sport that. Uh, has significant appeal uh, in you know it's a water a water sport um, when the people that I know that do uh, waka ama uh, really appreciate the uh, the way it's run you know there's there's karakia before they go in the water um, there's appreciation and value of the 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 water environment uh, and its family approach and all those things so. It is happening, and I suppose it's just a matter of um, who's who's leading this, the who's leading it, and who's doing it, and what do they know? Um, and that, and those are—I I, I mean, it, it's a bit um, trite to say it's a journey, but it really is. You know, everyone sort of has that way of doing things and getting there, and 
what what we do is not all you know in terms of recreation what we do for some is not what's going to work for others um, and the values that they people might have in it when I left working for the City Council uh, 20 something years ago early 20 years ago um, certainly there was an interest in uh, you know the the some of the information coming out of the United States was around uh, thinking about recreation as the experience rather than uh, just the, the the place or the activity so you know you might yeah so there's a park which is the place and then the activity is that somebody might go for a run or walk or whatever and then actually the the broadening or you know deepening that is thinking you know we can encourage more recreation and good health by actually thinking oh people actually want to have those conversations think about the experiences we had during lockdown which is for me it was um walking walking with my family and having those conversations that we um that walking seems to support you know those deep meaningful conversations part of it was some of it was my uh daughter's um what did we talk about history assignments uh, that she had for university um you know planning i can't remember the it's a whole lot of sort of theoretical stuff that i had no idea about but actually you know she was able to explain it we talked about you know planning this essay um we talk about i don't know what we saw what we did you know so those are the deeper experiences that actually we should all should and whether it, it may be decolonizing actually but maybe it's thinking about experience so um yeah, and those are the those are the reasons that I actually got into public health because um, I, I moved disciplines from um, as a recreation planner. Essentially, I'm a park, I have a parks and recreation management degree from Lincoln University, and as I uh, over the years I moved, um, I now, and I now have a um, oh, what do I have a, a post <laughs> a PhD in public health. And the reason I did that is because I was really interested in recreation and these experiences and who who in the city counts or you know who of the people that live in Dunedin weren't having access to um, and weren't being heard by the city council and the sort of facilities and the, and the things they provided and they uh, what was what was missing well what what I found is that um, recreation had turned into exercise and so what I wanted to do when I did my PhD was understand why why exercise what is it about this health environment that is fixated on exercise 20 years down the track i'm no further ahead believe me <laughs> but actually in um but but coming at it from a tao maori perspective and thinking about it in a um a kopapa maori is for me perhaps a language that um achieves a number of things as a I can think more broadly about well-being, and a, and there is a there is a language and um and a and a way of providing the messaging that that makes sense. Um, and it's deeply rooted in place, and that's significant. And I think and I think those are things that we can benefit from. Bubble sprite of the forest of Orokinui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotahoho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining. 
and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are a triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you now I know for all of us we've been through a very challenging time for the last more than a year and I feel that we are in recovery mode from this having gone through many ups and downs both physiologically and psychologically spiritually emotionally in all these ways which of course are all connected I feel now that we are re-emerging into consensus reality things are different and it's important to acknowledge that and also to acknowledge that we are different whilst retaining many of our core attributes and aspects as a species something I love about us of course is that with our beautiful Modi and our beautiful wairua, our beautiful consciousness our beautiful life force, our beautiful spirit our beautiful knowing our beautiful connection that we are feeling always on one level with all life in an infinite web of course we bring a unique spark of consciousness to this web and for each of us we are bringing something new we are bringing something different with us into the world we also share so much we also can tap into that sense of oneness and that sense of those things that we all possess that we all share and one of these of course is that we love symbolism and we love archetypal roles and these make sense to us deeply in our consciousness across a myriad of cultures across time space all these things we find commonality in these roles and I think for all of us at times we can feel that we have to fulfill absolutely every role that we have to do absolutely everything ourselves and if we don't do this then we won't be safe or if we don't do this things won't turn out as they should and in some situations this is absolutely true in other situations if we can allow others to come forward and share their skills and share their archetypal roles that they feel most comfortable to embody we can get some support and some assistance with the projects that we want to fulfill as we all know i've had this several months organizing this memorial concert for my dear friend who passed away at the start of this year and that's all happened now and went very well that was a great learning process for me because of course i had to really step back and acknowledge that i don't have all the skills at all (laughs) to make these things happen and actually i can fulfill some roles and i have some skills but how important it was to allow other people to come forward to share theirs and to really appreciate and to really acknowledge their work and their abilities now i find myself having harvey penfold back in the wool mansion and we are embarking on more adventures for our bird feeder business and he of course is sharing his very different skills 
as part of this and as I speak to you driving down to the storage unit to collect some giant caterpillars and floor mats for my beautiful eco warriors visiting the eco sanctuary today he's in the process of designing a big banner that we're going to take to Wanaka and of course I don't have any of those skills but what I can do is support and encourage and offer some creative assistance so I really hope that for you whatever's unfolding around you you're able to really enjoy fully embodying and relishing using the skills that you feel really exemplify who you are and where you feel comfortable, where you feel really rewarded when you use those skills and you're allowing others around you to come forward to share theirs and feel appreciated. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Robin Quigg. Robin, um, the future of work is such an interesting space and I wonder um, with the learners that you have coming through at the moment, what sort of aspirations are you seeing in them? Like where are they hoping to take the qualifications that they're, they're working to with you? Really, um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Really kind of mixed, I suppose, um, in the sense that because I work with undergraduate Bachelor of Health Science students, there's still a lot of them who are interested in the professional programs at the university, so they'll be applying for medicine, dentistry, physio, pharmacy. Um, and so they, they'll do their, their, what they're with us to do their first, usually three year undergraduate degree and then apply um, for those professional programs. And then another group um, are thinking about going um, well, public health is a pretty popular <laughs> subject at the moment, and um, and we ha we do a diploma in public health, uh, which is a postgraduate diploma, and that's a um, a very strong qualification. In fact, I think that's what uh, Michael Baker, who's always on uh, TV, he's apparently he's got a diploma in public health. Um, so there's quite a few who will t do that as a one-year step, um, which which just um, extends their knowledge, I suppose, after their three-year degree. But there's a number of the students that go into um, like all manner of uh, non-governmental organisations like Harpai, um, the uh, various uh, Māori health trusts. Um, yeah, so uh, they sort of go all over the place, but I, I think there's, there's still a lot of interest in um, perhaps just one more year of study. You know, those that come through in three years, there's a lot of students at Otago who seem to take three or four, who do three or four year degrees uh, or uh, medicine, they'll be around for six years. So it's really normal for the students to actually have their friends around and flatmates for a long time. So I think yeah. um, there's quite a lot of interest in staying on. It's like, oh, I'm not really ready to go yet, um, is what I hear. What should I do? So then the next professional qualifications that Otago um, offers so not just in that in that health um, area, but also um, uh, my my son's doing uh, postgraduate or uh, masters of planning. Um, they go off and do social work. Other people do social work. Um, what else have we got in terms of professional qualifications? There's a few like that. So I do see them uh, just staying just to get that extra extra bit of um, experience, I suppose, with us or for me. It's uh, you know I love to see their writing being refined with another mm. year um, and, and that's what I, I really sort of enjoy giving them that feedback to you know just just to 
complete those sentences and uh, put that dot there and yeah, have, a, have a bit of an introduction. Um, yeah, I really like that side of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, very, very strong interest in public health at the moment. Um, and that's, that's pretty amazing um, for us to see that people now understand what epidemiology is. They understand, yeah. uh, people are just start, starting to understand the, the greater good, I suppose, in health. And that's, that's really positive. It's such an interesting space at the moment. And I wonder if I was, if I gave you one wish to change one thing that would make all the difference, what would it be? What would be the one thing you'd change if you could right now? So I can't, can I go back in history? Yep. Okay. I would have said honour the treaty. Oh, now there's a good thing. <laughs> we <Yeah>. love that. <laughs> We're working on that though, eh? We, we are actually, I feel like we're starting to make some inroads there, finally, at yeah. long last. Yeah. And our new Māori yeah. Health Authority is going to be yeah. actually starting yeah. to feel like that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I just, this is, I, this is what part of my um, kind of interest in the parks is, what is the story, you know, how do we, how do we end up with that park there? Like who's it, I mean, I, I have some sort of little bit of evidence from the Wellington Town Belt where it, it was, um, it was uh, stripped from Ngāti Toa and then created and made into the town belt, you know. And how different would it be in all our cities um, if if we'd we'd kept our land, you know? Who would be the landlord? Um, what would we? So... What would we? Yeah. What would what would we be doing? How would we be? How how would we look? How would our cities look? Maybe you know some things might not be too different, but some things would be really different. You think how much effort has gone in by, you know, our our Fano and Hapu and Iwi, into, uh, you know, treaty redress or you know arguing our cases. You know, mm. look look how much energy, we and money we've spent on that compared to, perhaps we could have been, um, yeah, we would have been edu you know. Doing perhaps doing things differently in education, you know, health and justice. It's never too late to make that change. No, no, and that's and that's what we're doing. You know, yeah. that's what that's what spins my wheels. Yeah. Is that decolonising the uh, acknowledging the colonial constructs? Is that something which we are seeing across? All disciplines. I presume we'd like to see it across all disciplines, but do you think it's happening? I think so. I mean, it, oh, there's a lot of Māori that say it's not. De we don't want decolonisation. We want tēnā teratanga and we want mana motohaki. So you know, sovereignty. Um, what I've done is um, a very wise person I know called um, Anne Marie Jackson has talks about staying in your lane, and. Um, so my, I know parks, I know urban parks, and I know how city councils operate. And so my lane is thinking about urban parks, and actually I feel really comfortable working in that space. And that's, and so for me, I'm because it's a colonial construct already. It's it's covered by the Reserves Act, um, 1977. It's guided by you know the and and city council. So that's a colonial structure. I need to think about decolonising that space. Probably most a lot of yeah. I mean, we we really are thinking about a lot of structures which are colonial structures, um, and so then probably decolonisation is the right terminology. Um, but if you're a Maori organisation, 
uh, or you'll you'll you know you'll be thinking about tenaranga um, tanga. So what can we do to 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 have sovereignty and be working from there? Yeah, that's that's probably my take on it at the moment. I'm going to squeeze in the second of your music choices, Lily Allen, Mad World. Why this? It's slightly. <laughs> slightly sad, slightly uplifting, because um, I couldn't have my other choice. Cause, <laughs> cause, uh, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, but other people can look up the other songs that Lily Allen does. Yeah, I just I like the way she sings it. I, I mean, I really struggle to get my choices down to these two, and probably tomorrow I would think of some other ones. Uh, yeah, I, I love music, but I'm not. Yeah, I don't always have a favourite one that I'll uh, play. Lots of, yeah, I've had lots of seminal kind of moments, I suppose. So, yeah. I sit on is actually running a true co-governance model. Uh, when I first joined the board, it wasn't like that, and there was uh, there were some problems with a couple of quite overt racists, and it was 
um, it was just horrible and we couldn't make anything work. But as soon as we actually worked through the process and, and, and actually implemented this co-governance model, everything came right. And we're an environmental board. We've got a, an entire mountain range that we look after. And as soon as, as soon as I could get the board to see the vision of that, everything was better. And, it, and I've always, I always say, whatever, what's good for Māori is good for everybody. <laughs> it's just another absolutely. example of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's our whole mantra when it comes to um, health. You know, that's the stuff we talk about in health particularly. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's, oh, that's really positive. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's funny the, where those journeys are at, I guess, in terms of how boards and groups are running and, and uh, you know, what, who's got what seat at the table and how it's done. Um, and there's always got to be so a strong person, a strong voice driving change. And mm. I think it's time that we actually stopped trying to placate and be, you know, gently lead. And actually it's time that we, we have to stand strong and say, right, this is how it's going to be from now on. Otherwise it's just not going to work. And yeah. we've got to, yeah, that voice has to change. And I believe it's changing. Yeah, yeah that's the yeah. way I see it. Up here anyway, I see I see a lot of change in that kind of direction. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it, it varies, doesn't it, where you are and at what and what institution you're in. I yeah. mean, the, the University of Otago is in a state of change. We've got a new, a new vice chancellor has just been appointed. Um, it's really exciting for us. Um, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful with David Murdoch coming in. Uh, he, he certainly, um, from what I've seen of him and what other people have said, uh, he, he's really interested in change um, cool. in a really positive way. So, yeah, we're, we're excited. Um, I've, I have a role as uh, co-chair of uh, Te Pautama Māori, which is the, um, we have a collective of Māori academic staff. And so we, we sort of find our, ourselves uh, around the advocacy table often or the, the reminder table or, you know, finding out about things that are going on. And um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty exciting to be sort of, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be able to find out a little bit uh, sooner rather than later how things are going but you know what I've seen of him so far it's been really really positive that's so, so good um, yeah and I understand that's his he's interested you know that he he really acknowledges where um, you know where we want to be and and yeah he's he's come from that health sector and so they, they've it's been in their faces it's been in the, the face of the health sector the injustice and uh, inequity for many years um, and the need for structural change. So yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting he wants the job. It's exciting he's he's going to to come on down and and join us and and uh, lead lead the charge really. In terms of change, we've seen lots of change in the the last year or so. Societal change. What do you think is going to stick, and what do you hope will stick? Mm. I don't know. I mean, it was pretty exciting with the, um, uh, you know, the environmental changes that came with people not flying, you know, the, the, the cruise ships not going, you know, the, was it the canals in Venice cleared up? Um, and it's all, and, and so that was, that was really exciting. Um, but it seems to be not sticking. So, 
maybe valuing education will stick because actually probably people have realized um you know that that within those times of trouble that education is um is valuable and it's something that you know kind of can't be taken away um yeah i don't yeah living local yeah living locally you know valuing locally um i hope sticks um but you know i'm not not entirely optimistic about that i have some questions to end the show and almost negative time to get them in so we shall have to be quick what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years um having i think happy healthy children and um a good marriage we are writing a book of these conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes it's our team of people doing good work so you are in that team what is the superpower that has got you into the mansion I can't answer. I I was going to say bloody mindedness. That's a good superhero name. (laughs) (laughs) Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I don't consider myself to be an activist in the way that I acknowledge other activists. But I like to be an activist. I like to think I'm an activist in terms of structure um, and processes and organisations. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? (sighs) Things I've committed to already (laughs) because I said yes when I should have said no. Um, Doing a good job, actually. Yeah, doing yeah, uh, doing what I said I was going to do, actually. So what's the biggest challenge or opportunity you're looking forward to in the next year or two? Um, kind of make, making, making my decolonising parks concept much more real in terms of, um, uh, you know, making, making a difference, I suppose, actually. Uh, to for for mana whenua and uh, tangata whenua in their communities to see that they uh, belong and that, that their their values are represented um, in public places. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, good job listening. I'm a podcast nerd myself. Um, yeah, just believe in yourself. Um, on a titiriti. Um, and if that if you're not sure what that means, go and go and find out. Um, gent- gently. Be be gentle with your um mana whenua and tangata whenua friends or soon to be friends. Uh, there's a lot of people asking about this at the moment and it's quite hard work. Thank you for that, Mawera. Robin, um, I think that the I don't have a whole lot of confidence in our generation to bring about the sort of change that we need to see in our world. 
Um, but I do believe that that power lies with our children and the more spaces we can decolonize for them, the better and the more chance we have of the sort of change that we need. And you're leading that and thank you for leading that. Thanks for it. Because it's not a space I'd even ever thought about until today and now I am. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the, the time and uh, seeking me out. Um, it's not it's not my natural bridge place to rest my eyes in shades of green. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us. To Ichiku Park, that's where I've been. What did you do there? This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.